Hey, Cameron. Hey. You're back. I am back. And I'm back. We're all back. Back We're home. Back to... <laughs> welcome home. We're back <laughs> to talking about photography. For yes. anybody that survived our video episode last week, did you survive it? Uh, no. <laughs> did you try? <laughs> I did. I did try. But I know so little on the subject that it just seems kind of pointless i know and that's the that's the whole thing i don't like does it make sense to cram it all into the same show i think so i think that there are people who care and you know i mean it gives you an opportunity to talk about something that that is dear to your heart that you know i don't need to be there for well my philosophy on topics that we choose for the show is that there's got to be some amount of people out there that think the same way as i do or as you do and hopefully they will find us. <laughs> um, well, I, I think there's enough cross streams, you know, and I think that, you yeah. know, when people look at whatever it, the show notes or in our introduction, they can say, oh, I'm going to pay attention this week or, or not. I can decide to bail. Yeah. Well, that's actually a comment I'll add is that I think that the crossing over is reducing a bit. Looking at what the video gear is right now, the hottest, most exciting pieces of video kit are no longer photography. DSLRs. Yeah. Uh, it, it was the 5D for a while, first the 5D Mark II, and then the 5D Mark III was also beloved by filmmakers. And then finally, the real video cameras kind of caught up. So people have been moving away. So it's uh, even though it's with and they're targeting different cameras to each group more and more. There wasn't a really groundbreaking announcement. Uh, what the hot camera I saw people using to demo their stuff that's at a consumer level, like that's kind of at our price range. So, um, $2,500 is the Sony a seven S which is just kind of the video version of the Sony a seven. Yeah. 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 So it's the, the really, uh, high ISO beast that, um, can shoot up to a million. (laughs) <laughs> and that what was is, that's what all the booths were using to sample their their rigs or like if they're not selling a camera then that's the often the camera they were using to demonstrate so still i, I still i shudder at sony for whatever <laughs> I, it's, sorry it, sony uh, it, yeah it's changing it is changing out there yeah canon's getting boring and um yeah, more and more brands are becoming interesting and valid, and totally. And as a Nikon guy, like I've uh, I've I've more or less started to abandon the G series stuff, which is the newest. Yeah, it's the 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 big guys are just getting lazy. It seems like, and there, and there's so much incentive for the other brands. Yeah, and also the you you go back and you find the the older stuff. The AIS lenses feel amazing, and you know, I mean, they're manual focus. I mean, so they'd be great for video. But they're also just great for shooting film, and that's what I've been doing a lot of. So it just makes a lot of sense. But it, literally, you, you touch the thing, and it feels like a, a real object because it's made out of you know precision <laughs> precision metal and glass. Yeah. And when you turn the focus, it it feels like a dream. And uh, I've mostly used mostly plastic lenses. Even my pro lenses are yeah. mostly plastic. So yeah, no, we've gotten way too used to really cheap build qualities. It's unfortunate. Exactly. And so it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. You go back and you, and you feel one of these professional grade lenses from that era, from the bygone era. And it's, you feel like you're getting cheated now. And well, maybe you are, uh, but there's also, there is the weight factor. Like yeah. we've talked to people like Kirk Maston shoots on, I know he chooses the 35 millimeter 2.0 instead of 
the either the Sigma 35 1.4 or the Canon 35 uh, 1.4 because of the weight. It's just mm-hmm. to, to him, it's not worth it. And I, I, I can see that. I can see that with the new Sony lenses. Like Sony, their philosophy with these lighter cameras is that they want a lens system that is, well, this is what they've said. I don't know how true it is. It is the, a lens system that complements that size. So yeah. they're not doing, um, you know, Canon size lenses for what are much smaller mirrorless bodies. Yeah. I mean, uh, don't, aren't we all just kind of sick of that though? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, the small ones need to catch up a lot before I'm yeah. that sick of it. I want to use the A7S as a jumping off point though, okay. to talk about, I, I was realizing the other day that we don't give nearly enough credit to the way that changes in ISO technology have completely shifted the way that we shoot. Mm. You're right. If we look at film from a old timey perspective and when you're going to load one roll in and it's, you know, 400 and you, you have to finish that roll of 400 before (laughs) you can finish shooting. Um, If you want to shoot really, a much faster speed like 1600 that was pretty rare i i never really went above 800 and if you did use 1600 it, you're really compromising in image quality a lot mm-hmm. and it's more expensive and a lot of the time people just shoot black and white like to get 3200 you'd have to shoot black and white yeah. right am i right yeah yeah that was the only uh 3200 speed film that they made and it looked was in black and white like a grainy pile of mush <laughs> well i mean it depends on what you're shooting yeah. i actually i think it has a, a really beautiful look um have but, you shot it i have never shot it yeah yeah totally um i'm not recently it's mm-hmm. been a while but um you know i've I've gone back and looked at some of the negatives that, that i shot in in 3200 and yeah i think that it's it's got some nice uh yeah well it's really contrasty and it's i mean it's, it's a very specific look right. you know so i mean i don't think you'd shoot it unless you wanted things to look that way yeah so i mean yeah i i think that um in terms of what is useful um i mean we we are we're living in a golden age of of high speed i don't want to spend too long harping on that people don't appreciate what they have now but they don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well they don't even know right no. i mean there's no point of comparison for so many people yeah because you had to god it was just so much work in such a compromise to be able to shoot in a dark environment at all and the fact that you don't know if it's coming out blurry so if you shut your shutter speed set your shutter speed a little too slow for what's happening you don't know till later yeah you just <laughs> would you would need to add light much more often you wouldn't walk into situations like shooting on the streets at night just standing in regular street light in the evening mm-hmm. you, the odds of it turning out are pretty low yeah like you're probably going to screw it up but you can walk out with modern dslr now and turn it into something turn it into something great it's true well i mean i think that i know i i don't know a lot about this but i'm sure that some of our listeners probably do is that you know you can take uh films like hp5 and you can, you know, bump it up to sixteen hundred or more, and then depending on the the chemicals that you use, you can actually get away with like pretty reasonable amount of grain. I think it's funny though that it's still that same approach. That if you're going to shoot, if you're going to push your sensor now really far, mm-hmm. personally, I still usually turn it into black and white because yeah. I still <laughs> find the colors far, fall apart. Color 
still can't handle the same as black and white. It's so much more forgiving when the color doesn't have to survive. Yeah, I think that it, it, it that's mostly true. I'd say that that was like 90% true. I think that there are situations where the color actually still yeah, works yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, but totally. I mean, it's it's really rare. You can't. And it also really it depends much. on your lights. I mean, if you had a bunch of really nice daylight balanced LEDs that were turned down low, mm-hmm. that might work really nice. Or just all matching tungsten light that like fit well. But a lot of the time when you're in low light, you're in a totally uncontrolled situation like a bar or a street yeah. or uh, somewhere that like the lights don't match. They're not hitting the subject in a balanced way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what you have is what you got. Yeah. But I, I, what I was also thinking about is the way that this made cell phone photography um, viable mm-hmm. because people that don't know how to really control their the variables of their image, they really need low light photos to turn out well every yeah. single time. A phone can't have a nice flash. I don't think maybe someday, but at this point, like <laughs> the led on my iPhone is not attractive at all. <laughs> no, even though like they, they, they did at least go to some lengths to, um, to try to balance the flash. Yeah. You know, like my, my new one has, has, you know, uh, it's like half, um, CTO and half fluorescent. Have you noticed that difference since you got it? No, I never use it with exactly. The flash. <laughs> I never turn the flash on, so I never. I still don't trust it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it, well, that's the thing. It's even though it balances a little better, every other attribute of the <laughs> of a flash image on an iPhone is terrible. So, yes, <laughs> I I remember I spent before smartphones came out. So before the iPhone, I spent a lot of extra money to get a Sony, and I. Uh, don't remember the model name, but a Sony Ericsson that looked like a point and shoot camera. Basically it was the most camera centric cell phone out there. And like the lens had a slide across cover thing and it was a pretty big lens and it had a flash that looked like a real flash. And looking at this thing, you'd think it was more of a camera than the iPhone is, but the photos were so (laughs) terrible. There's no resolution. The sensor couldn't handle anything. There's no low light. Uh, looking back at, at, like yeah i can't look back at those photos there's there's nothing to them it was awful um and it was all about yeah sensor quality and also i think image processing Mm -hmm. i think that part or a lot of what i see apple doing i think they're doing a lot of really crazy back-end software stuff to do really clever noise reduction and um just keeping the quality up in software solutions. Yeah, they have to be. The, the, and the example I see on the desktop is Lightroom because mm-hmm. once little noise reduction, mm-hmm. which a lot of the time it's automatically applying. Like a funny thing I had to notice on my own was that it does automatic like dead and hot pixel removal. Do you ever see yeah. it doing that to your image? Uh, I just saw it like literally just now. <laughs> yeah, and... It, it's not even it's not a feature you turn on and off it yeah, just, just deals it. with it. Yeah. yeah you don't even have to know how bad your photo could have looked or the, the work yeah. you would have had to put into it because i remember like photoshopping them out one at a time at some point yeah i mean you go forward to the next photo and you see this red spot yeah and then all of a sudden you know three seconds later it disappears and everything else is smoother too yeah <laughs> it's like wow and it does and it cool. does a pretty great job like the best 
thing about it too is the color noise reduction because amazing yeah who really cares about well you can care about grain like you don't want too much grain unless you for some reason want grain right but the the thing that makes it ugly is the color noise and that's always been what digital was much worse for and that's why originally before the these software solutions got really good that's why digital noise was so ugly because it was so colorful <laughs> like yeah. all this spotty fake color that wasn't in the image God, remember when that was the i mean i i clearly remember when it was still the case that that high-speed film produced a, a less noisy image or a more satisfactory image than a than a high-speed digital image oh yeah it's yeah. weird it is weird it's just it's hard to imagine you know i mean and in, in this day with the these new sony's and you know like the nikon df and like you know i guess the the mark three is is also just really really hot right yeah the things that we put up with oh i think it's just incredible well and now i completely i completely trust my iso in a way i never would have before right like i i remember with the 5d mark two no no 5d mark one i accidentally left my iso set to 1600 for a studio shoot so there's a strobe (laughs) going off and i didn't need it at all yeah and the photos, I, I think I threw them out. <laughs> I didn't use it because it was, it was, it looked like crap. Like yeah. it really was noisy. And now, um, I don't know what. What are you comfortable shoot? Like, what do you? If you're really worried about image quality, what's the highest you'll go? Um, I, I'm I'm really struggling to to answer that in a, in a meaningful way because. I I just had a real life, real world experience that just proved that that it's all crap. Because like I I just I shot this entire shoot between I okay I, I shot uh, food and beverage stuff today, and the light was dim because it was all like cloudy outside, and so I had to shoot everything at um, an average of thirty two hundred and sometimes even higher. Wow. And it's like that's amazing for anything handheld, right? Yeah. So I had to shoot that fast, and you know the color isn't as nice as it it could be but to be honest with you like there's nothing wrong with these files especially because i shot them on the d800 so by the time i export it it'll be half the size as it is natively and you won't even be able to notice yeah it's it's really amazing you can like push things i don't know it's incredible yeah to the extreme and the amount that i um push my actually yeah yeah one more thing with lightroom is the exposure slider how well it treats the uh noise in an image now too and well Mm -hmm. this is all in all of adobe raw but lightroom's where i see it is that you can just take so much more exposure these days like ever since the 2013 update when they redid the 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 algorithms for all the sliders oh it just got so good every photo now i'm usually slightly underexposed and mm-hmm. bumping it up by like between, you know, 0.3 and, and one stop. Yeah. Many, many of my photos are, are pushed by one or up to two stops. Like, yeah, me too. You can go so far. I actually prefer to underexpose my digital images just a little bit so mm-hmm. I can, I can, you know, cause I feel more comfortable pushing them up than I do dealing oh, with blown highlights yeah absolutely you can you because you can just be completely stuck if you have blown highlights you're just yeah, you're done yeah nothing else is going to happen 
which is why <laughs> I, you know, if the sun is shining, I grab a film camera, period. Right. Yeah, you know, that, that's where I'm at. Like that's, Well, that's because you, you have that beautiful scanner. It's not just that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also exciting. Yes, I know it's exciting. Yes. I, I also end up shooting with my iPhone more when the, the sun is out, too, because I know... Yeah, you know it's, it's going to look just great. as good, and it's it just fits in your pocket, mm-hmm. and it weighs nothing comparatively. And like, did you use? Because I found that once that photo, sh- the sorry, the Lightroom update came, that before that, fill fill light, that's what it was called before yep. it was called shadows. Yeah, that was like the um, that was the HDR slider, right? Like that was to give it that look. Absolutely. Or at least from memory. Like, it's it's kind of hard to remember now because it's been so long. But... <laughs> oh, I remember. It's burned into my, human, yeah. into my mind. Well, I, I remember the, the the horrible look of my photos from that time yeah. compared to more recent times. Yeah, it was a dangerous prospect to start pulling your... Just to uh, attack your shadows with with a slider. Like, you could really kind of ruin things. Yes, Absolutely. In a negative way, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's, those are old times. Yeah. And now it's, oh, I love it. Like I, I'm also really aggressive with those. That's like, again, looking at Maston labs, that's so much of what it depends on is like, you can, you can pull this much out of the image now because Adobe has gotten really good at it. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want to do a review. I shouldn't say this out loud because <laughs> people will expect me to do it. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> but I want to do a comparison review of the exposure sliders in all the major software, really. I've been thinking about it because the new Apple Photos app came out. And have you tried it? Did you use no, it? No, not yet. Not yet. It's, I mean, it, it had to happen. Uh, iPhoto is old and not working well enough anymore. And I think a rewrite is exactly what they needed to do. They killed aperture for it, which personally, I don't care, but it's a very controversial move because a lot of people do care. If you were using it for all those years, investing in it, believing that Apple was going to stick to it. Well, that was your mistake is believing Apple was going to stick to anything for professionals. Yeah. And what are you crazy? (laughs) But the thing thing? thing that I've been hearing from a lot of professional reviewers, which are usually they're primarily Apple or technology reviewers. That's who has been discussing this the most. I don't think they use Lightroom heavily enough to see how big of a difference there is in the, the way that an image responds to just the most basic adjustments in Lightroom compared to this new photos app. Cause they've all been like really positive about it. They're like, you know, it's not quite what a professional needs, but it, it'll get you most of the way there. But to me, even if you're an amateur, this exposure slider is not good enough. Like yeah. the, if you bend the lights slider towards uh, lifting the exposure, it doesn't look very good. And maybe I'm going to get a bunch of angry tweets, but <laughs> what's new? <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, it's not good enough. It's if you look at what Snapseed did in their new release, or you look at what VSCO does in their app, like that's what a slide, that's what an exposure slider should look like. Totally, absolutely, and Lightroom, and the built-in Photos Apple slider has never looked that good. I think the I shouldn't say this. I <laughs> if memory serves, I think the say Android it. one didn't look as good either. But I only played with it on other people's phones, so I don't know if I was paying close enough attention. 
but it's such an important thing. Like that's, that's the one slider that needs to look great. You need, actually, no, there's three. <laughs> you, yeah. need, you need the, you need the white balance and the exposure sliders to all have really nice response on a JPEG for any consumer software. It doesn't matter if it's for professionals or not. Like this is really common adjustments. This is everybody should be tweaking their white balance and exposure every time it's needed. They should never be afraid to do it because it breaks the image. And so. it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how, how far we've come. It's given us like so many more options. Well, and it raises the bar on, um, the things that just aren't good. Like it exposes crappy software to me, like the, the quality of Lightroom exposes that yeah. <laughs> if Apple is dropping the ball on it and that we were living with garbage for a really long time. Like the way that I, I think that Instagram, for example, got better recently, but it used to do this thing. Actually, the thing to look for, if you, do, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the thing to look for most of all is that a, an exposure slider should really be attacking the midtones and protecting the deep shadows and the bright highlights. That's yeah. what exposure means because the, like a well-exposed image um, like and of why it looks beautiful – the highlights will roll off. They won't just vanish into white and the shadows don't start becoming this really grainy gray. They should try, they should be wanting to stay black ish. Mm -hmm. Um, They should, they should only start lifting after you've really started to push it far and finding that algorithm. That's like, that's what the whole trick is, is when do the highlights start to move? When the brightest highlights move and when do the deepest shadows start to move? Oof. So Apple, you're listening. So get out there and rewrite it. <laughs> but it's also the trick with when you're playing with your curves in Photoshop, if you're just going to mm-hmm. do an exposure adjustment in Photoshop, curves are the way to do it. And the way that curve is shaped is a big part of it. Yeah, totally. Do you ever do that though? Do you still use Lightroom? Oh, or, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Photoshop to, to do overall exposure adjustments or anything like that? Heck no. I use Lightroom for all of that. Yeah. I mean, the, the curves, as long as you, you know, click, sorry, I have to look at the button. <laughs> uh, go from the point curve to the linear on the, twi- on the tone curve. Uh, in Photoshop? You know, in Lightroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's the, the, the little tiny curves um, icon that's at the bottom of the, of the module. Right. And, you know, you click that and you, you, you get to use the curves the same way as you would in Photoshop. And then, you know, power is revealed. And it's awesome. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine doing it without. And you know what? Uh, another complaint I have for Lightroom, which, oh, that reminds Uh-oh. me that there's a new yep. one. No, no, no. It just reminds me there's a new one and I wanted to talk about it. That it doesn't, you can't expand the actual size of the curves area like you can in Photoshop, which is crazy wow. to me. You still can't do that. Like, why can't I just drag the size of my curve box? Because you have you, the... the precision control that you have is completely limited by this tiny little curves box. I never let my Photoshop curve uh, adjustment area be that small. Right. That's actually, that's a good point. I mean, I I think, you know, if you need to get that intense into it, well, I do need to get that intense into it. I, I don't. I don't know why you do. Like, I guess, I guess, I don't know. Well, because I, because I think it's really far. I think it's, way too small. That's why, like, I, I don't think that the amount of precision I'm looking for is actually that precise. You know, when somebody's designing 
a professional grade Photoshop filter. When VSCO sits down to make something or Mastin does, they are probably setting those points in the code, right? Mm -hmm. They're saying like, okay, point one is going to be at 98 and 95, like X and Y. And, you know, point two will be here. And they will define all this because it's really easy to change them. Like you can just type it, but I don't want to have to go in there just to be precise. Ugh, I hope they are. Too finicky. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Are you listening to me, Kirk? I hope you're doing that. <laughs> but but you shouldn't have to, and neither should I. I want to have, it's not too much to ask. Photoshop already does this. I, <laughs> I want to do a, a Lightroom complaining episode sometime because there is... There's all this stuff that's missing, but at the at the end of the show, let's talk about Lightroom. <laughs> oh, what are we talking I, about? ISO. I try not to complain about things that I I love and use every day. No, but, <laughs> but why? It's so fun. <laughs> I guess it. Um, I don't know. It's come so far, though. Like it's come so far that like I think that this this software is the dis- the further it comes, though, the further that small details start to piss me off that like, <laughs> how yes. are you still not dealing with this? Do your programmers really not encounter this issue? Have they never tried to do a precision curve because the rest of us have, or well, a lot, many of us have, I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I just feel like I can't be the only one. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. And, um, pretty sure. Oh yeah. So the other really weird thing that I don't know if Photoshop will ever catch up with this is that a curves adjustment or any of the basic ways of raising the brightness in Photoshop respond really differently to the exposure sliders. And where Mm. you can see this the most, where I've seen it the most is when I'm using curves to, to, to perform some kind of masking object. So no, you know what, this might actually just be a, an artifact of masking, not curves, but let me explain and then we'll decide that if you're say trying to make a gradient over a sky, this is definitely the best example where it's a darker at the top and and lighter at the bottom. That's Mm -hmm. really easy to do in Lightroom. You can Mm -hmm. create an exposure brush and lower the exposure and brush it in at the top, or you can create a gradient map layer layer. uh, Yeah. Well, is it here? I'll click it and gradient filter. Yeah, gradient filter. Yeah, where it's just a, sh- a shape, and you yeah. and you can do that with exposure, and it'll look great. It'll be it was smooth gradient, no banding. Mm-hmm. If you try to brush it in in Photoshop or create a gradient in Photoshop, it doesn't do the same thing. It creates banding. Yes, it looks this? terrible. Yeah, absolutely. I remember doing that. On purpose, <laughs> well, to and then adding, banding on purpose? Well, you know, well, not not to add banding on purpose, but using that tool, and then having to go and add noise to to yeah, exactly alleviate the you have banding. To like add all this noise, and you you can add it to the mask, or you can also add it to the image afterwards, like the processed image. And either way, like you can still tell that the banding was there. And there's something that the raw processor does that Photoshop does not do. Like you just don't seem to have access to these magical Adobe algorithms inside mm-hmm. of regular Photoshop layers. And it's, yeah, it's you know, weird, <laughs> right? It's actually, I feel like using Photoshop is, is a little bit annoying now because of the, the, 
the amount of power that you have in Lightroom, it it feels like Photoshop has been kind of, you know, just left behind. I mean, I know that there's a lot of really advanced stuff that doesn't apply to me because I'm not like a digital artist Mm -hmm. that it's probably, you know, come a long way. But as far as I'm concerned, like I rarely need to open Photoshop. I know that they've, that's intentional. They've been, they've said that they're targeting, um, photographers more where they're trying to like split the market a little bit more so that Photoshop is more about, um, it's design tools, mm-hmm. uh, and more about like pixel specific stuff and that you can complete as many of your photography tasks as possible in Lightroom. Not to say like, obviously you'll still use both, but that, that, that difference is by design from what I've read anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, what are you using Photoshop for, though, anymore? Uh, well, right now, as we do this, I'm using it to edit out some power lines. Yeah, exactly. You're using to remove things yeah. that are that are you know too too difficult to remove. Yeah, with there's, the there's a little tool. bit of a composite thing happening in this image as well, mm-hmm. um, where I'm like using uh, what's it called, uh, Smart Fill. Uh, yeah, Auto auto smart fill (laughs) and uh yeah things like that like rebuilding the image a little which is almost like digital art stuff more than photography you know (laughs) when you rebuild a whole image is it really how much of that is photography and how much of it is redrawing something i don't know yeah i think it's it's uh it becomes more digital art than it is photography at that point so what do i know (laughs) Have you um, have you ever seen the A7S? Have you looked at the samples? No. It's kind of weird because, I, so I borrowed it um, from mm-hmm. the camera store here in Calgary, thecamerastore.com. Thanks, Jordan, for lending the, me the camera. The camera <laughs> store. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, he, uh, he lent me the camera, so I appreciate it. And um, just to test it out, and what I found was that the really high ISO stuff is beautiful like it, it it does and when i say really high i mean like past 3200 like into the tens of thousands Ooh. it's it starts it is still there right there is still an image and that's what's incredible about it it yeah it isn't clean um it isn't beautiful but it isn't video actually like that that's that's part of why it's been so appealing is that the, the at video resolution, that quality is still phenomenal mm. um, and, and very usable, which is why you've seen or um, like completely moonlight things. I, I saw an awesome ski video the other day. Oh no, no, no. They're uh, mountain biking on snow at night in what? only lit by moonlight. Oh. So there's moonlight and then the lights on the front of their um, bikes and here, I'm going to send you this link right now. Here, it's called Moonrider. Search for Moonriders on Vimeo. And then you'll find it, and everybody else will find it too. And I'm going to uh, watch it while I talk. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't believe it watching this. Like, you can see the moon coming up. They have this amazing uh, time lapse that probably was shot with stills of the, of the moon coming up where it looks like the sun. And this wasn't possible before. The the 5D couldn't handle this, even though it has incredible low light. But at web video quality, oh. really, this so, is unthinkable. Yeah, 
this is, this should be impossible, right? You can barely walk around like that. Like if, if those bikers could see as well as the camera is, they wouldn't need the flashlights on their, on their bikes. <laughs> They're probably not seeing that environment as well as the camera is from, from my tests. Actually, I was able to shoot into, into a room where there is no light to my eye. I could maybe see a little bit of like glimmer off of reflections of anything that's glass in the room, maybe. And then I take a photo and I can just see everything. That was kind of where we were always judging things is that it was, it always felt like, well, the camera will never see things as well as you see them. Mm-hmm. You know, no, now it's, now it's completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for latitude. Head. That's what it, it doesn't have the same dynamic range. That's right. That's Cause the, we the next see, step. we see an HDR. Yeah. In like Basically. ultra HDR. Yeah. Um, then, you know, cause we're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Humans but we awesome. might not be in focus at all. So, yeah. um, give and take the, the thing that I think is really interesting about all this too, is not just that it enables superhuman video shooting <laughs> like this example or, or doing things that seemed impossible and that are completely amazing, but the way that it shapes totally average photography now as well, mm-hmm. right? Like Stocksy is a great example that the aesthetic that Stocksy is based on would not have existed previously if everybody had to always shoot at uh you know maximum 400 iso yeah or 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 based on um you know uh, standards that have previously existed when digital first came out there was more of an expectation that everything that's going to be shown to a client should be basically always shot at 100 iso like did you did you stick to that for a while because when I was shooting for I stock, like, yeah. yeah, like 200 is the max. And that was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you felt crazy for doing anything differently. I mean, yeah. I mean, we shot everything between 100 and 200. If you were feeling really super adventurous yeah. or you knew how to hide it. So what we did was we all bought a ton of strobes and big soft boxes and, um, shot really ugly stuff, <laughs> shot things <laughs> that had a lot of light pouring directly into them. And you could see the light source in every single photo. Like it was, it was just completely clear how everything was lit. You're like, there is the softbox, and the background lights in this restaurant don't matter. It's just going to be this softbox lighting a model sitting right in front of it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's now, weird. and now if you walk into that same environment, you you'll see a lot of people choosing to just use window light or to mix the mi- this this wasn't happening um in the for me well for in my eye stock days right yeah, of yeah. mixing um uh, natural light and um uh yellow and blue light is what i'm trying to say like, yeah, like tungsten yeah, yeah. and daylight because you you would get rejected for that <laughs> Like oh, yeah. your images would get booted because like, oh, it's a little yellow on this side and blue on this side. Well, you still might. <laughs> well, you, you might. Yeah, yeah. You can do it wrong. Like, yeah. of course there was a wrong way to do it, but go watch uh, any movie in Hollywood and see how you do it. Right. Yeah. Like, every shot has a, mix, a set of mixed light. Like there's no, there's no chance you're going to have everything just look perfectly neutral. Right. Cause it doesn't look real. Yeah. And that's, what's been going away. And like all of it is because we well, not all of it, but a, b- a big factor is because we can shoot at these weirdly high ISOs mm-hmm. and kind of use whatever light we uh, we damn well please. 
Well, and also I think that the uh, a lot of the the fast lenses now are you know they're able to shoot fully wide open with no coma. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that that totally might be a factor is that there's um yeah it's not well I don't know actually I don't know if I'm gonna agree because so many people still own the old lenses like you 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 and your fancy new lenses. Your yeah. fancy new old lenses. Well, I like I like them. I like both for different reasons. You know, I, I think that. Um, I mean, you know, let's take the let's go back to our old favorite, the Sigma fifty one four art lens. Yes, yes, yes. This thing, you know, you shoot wide open with, you know, it, it looks perfect. Uh, maybe I haven't put it through all of the ringers, but like it, it, from what I can tell, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I've never pushed it hard enough to see the aberration. But it also hasn't failed me yet. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like I've just, I haven't ended up in that situation where I'm, you know, I'm sure there's those like backlit daylight leaves or branches, like small details. Like, uh, yeah, I'm sure it can fall apart, but it hasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I really don't understand lens technology quite enough, you know, to, to really know what I'm talking about. But I, it seems like with the older lenses, anything that was, you know, you know, around 50 and lower suffered from like crazy amounts of coma. If it was shot wide open with, uh, well, the, I have the 51 Ford AFD Nikon lens and that thing, like it's the worst damn thing ever at one four, mm-hmm. you know, it's completely useless to me at one four. And the Canon so, 51.2, which is the, you know, one of the more expensive fifties uh, mm-hmm. you can get is same thing. It, it yeah. falls apart. Yeah, and I, I heard that it's it's the same thing with the the fifty one two AIS Nikon lens because I was looking into it just because I was like, okay, I'm shooting film now, and then you know I'm like, okay, well, I don't need this. How much but, is it? You know, it's you know I think it averages about six hundred, mm-hmm. but I th- you can get one used for probably four hundred. Um, but it's probably going to be beat up a little bit. Um, you know, but the thing is I can't use the, you know, okay. So let me back up. I bought the Nikon FM, FM three a, and it's a manual focus camera. So, you know, it's awesome, but yeah, I can't use my Sigma lenses on it. Yeah. So that hurt because <laughs> I didn't realize that, but you know, there's no aperture ring on these lenses. So and it's just like the, the Nikon G lenses. I'm probably also the, the Canon L lenses, right? No aperture ring. Uh, no, definitely not. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, they're they're only for modern cameras. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can't use them. And so you know, I was starting to think, well, you know, what am I going to do for those lengths? If I if I feel like I want to have those lengths in my in my arsenal for film, which obviously I do. They're the the, the normal lengths. Mm-hmm. That's what I use all the time. Um, so yeah, like luckily I still had my fifty one point four AFD. But like I said, I dare not shoot it lower than two. F2 because it turns to, to, to absolute crap, yeah. you know, and especially on film because like 35 millimeters already pretty fuzzy. Did I already tell you about the time that I used a Leica 50 millimeter 1.0 Noctilux? No, God, no. And Jesus. compared it to the Canon 51.2. I took the same photos on each. Okay. And they, that's when I realized that's when my love of the 51.2 disappeared because when you see what it really means to have like no chromatic aberrations or no uh, like ugliness in the fall off, like there's this smudge 
to the 50, to the Canon 50s, all of them, that is not nice. Like it doesn't, it's not a smooth transition compared to an $8,000 1.0 lens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shouldn't be, right? Yeah, exactly. But I always, I, I, up to that point, I assumed that the Leica was, you know, and this is the, that was the moment that proved that, okay, wait, you can build a lens that is way cleaner than what I was used to. And, and you can have higher standards. Well, you just have to keep throwing extra pieces of glass on there. Right? Well, and lots of extra money. <laughs> um, I think lens technology is the coolest thing. Yeah. I do. I, I, you know, like all this computer technology is like amazing. It's light years above like, lens technology, but like, I'm still, I just, I think the, that lenses are the most exciting thing well, about photography. T- yeah. Take a look at, uh, you want to see cool lenses, go look at your iPhone. Talk, talk about amazing lens technology that seriously tiny little things that look so good yeah how do you even describe that lens and how many elements are in the new one? Oh god i have i, I don't know how it works but it's like, like got like four elements or something like now yeah you know? i don't know and have you seen like the patent rumors and applications where through a single lens what was it like basically the ability to zoom with a non-moving single lens what no wait wait what is it I'm going to have to cut all this out because I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> iPhone uh, lens rumor. <laughs> um, oh, no. The zoom thing was using two lenses. So there'd be two lenses side by side, and somehow mm. they would be combining to one image that you can have optical zoom in and out with. Could you also do like stereoscopic stuff with it? I don't think so <laughs> because they need to be a certain distance apart. So you'd have to Damn like it. put one on the bottom and top, but these ones would be like, to, you know, maybe, maybe they'd even be in the same little casing. So it looked like one, I don't know, but they'd be really close together. Well, in, in any case, Apple, I just gave you a brilliant idea for, <laughs> for iPhone seven. Oh yeah. Cause especially if it, if the lens is a, iPhone seven is as big as your head, which I guess iPhone six already is. <laughs> you just put the lenses at eye distance. I mean, if it stays the same size as the six, right, you could easily put two lenses on there and create stereoscopic images. And then, then your Instagram feed would be 3d and trippier than hell. And it'd be amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to, that would be cool. That would be super cool. I'm going to take this though as an opportunity to jump into our, um, our stuff that we're into because it's that time. And I, uh, got to play with something I'm really into Hmm. that is super stereoscopic. Uh, Chris Dowsett, last episode and guest on here is has a developer kit of the Oculus Rift. And after telling me I need to come over and try it for a few weeks, I finally did really briefly. I had about a 10 minute demo and this is the future. It is (laughs) awesome. You've watched 3d movies, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. but you strap on this headset and, and even his had quite a bit of leg. Like the frame rate was, I think it was like 20 frames a second. It's not, as fast as it should be. It should be really fast. But as you turn your head around and I don't know, I probably sound like I'm late to the game because this thing's been out for a while and you can read a million reviews online about people that have been using it for a year. But I was really convinced like you, when this is ready for mainstream, we are going to start living inside our computers. It's crazy. Well, we're probably going to need to anyway. (laughs) So, and, and now there's more, um, this is totally like Chris's thing. He's the one that gets me excited about this all the time. So like I should bring him on to do a whole episode talking about 
how 3D photography is the future, but you mm-hmm. can buy rigs that at, at NAB they have them where um, the it's a series of GoPros all strapped together into a ball and on a, like a, a mount above your head and it's recording in all directions and then you can strap a headset on and relive that exact 3d experience. Um, so that like, as you turn your head, you're seeing the world as it was recorded and you can experience this in the app that he recommended a little while ago, uh, which was called, Oh, I don't know where I buried it. (laughs) V R S E. Um, Mm -hmm. you can watch these without any 3d technology. It's just on your phone. Um, but yeah, it's coming the future. Like, it's so close to like five years and we're all going to have our heads stuffed into these things. It's, it's really amazing. The demo he was showing me is like you walk into a movie theater and mm-hmm. there's a big movie playing on the screen and you're, you're in a theater. You're really there. <laughs> it's exciting. Everybody yeah. uh, find a friend that has one of these and try it out. It's so cool. I'm kind of scared to be honest. Yeah. I'm excited and scared. Yeah, me scared. too. Um, uh, I read the book ready player one. And it's about the, you know, dystopia of everybody's living inside their computer. And once I tried this, I'm like, oh my God, it's coming. Like, yeah. because it, because as soon as you're in there, it's very convincing. You, you believe that world pretty quickly and the technology is not even mature yet. So how's the food? No, actually more importantly, how's the beer <laughs> inside of virtual land? Yeah. The, the taste sensors were, the frame rate was too low on them. So I couldn't oh, tell. Well, they need to get that sorted yeah, out first. Well, you know, they, it's a few years out still. Yeah. I'm not going to go move in until, you know, <laughs> until I know I can get a burrito I'm gonna and a th- beer. I'm going to throw in one more before it's your turn. Okay. I, sure. I've been using something we bought a little while ago and it's called the Fujitsu ScanSnap IX500. It's a bulk scanner where you, I mean, this is like for offices. We got it to sort through our tax returns and it um, lets you just stick a stack of paper in it and it'll just chew through it and just scan and scan and scan and scan. And it can do dual sided or one sided. And I went to my parents' house and took a big box of photographs and in a short evening scanned a thousand old photos, a full shoebox in just a couple of hours and did almost no physical work. That's rad. It was so cool. Like the only work I had to do is that there was uh, like sticky notes on the mm-hmm. paper. So like, you know, you got to get that out of the way. Well, cause you, but usually you don't have that. If you just have a stack <laughs> of prints and you just put them into this thing and I, had the, I had the uh, quality cranked up to 11 and mm-hmm. if I left it at the default setting, which would still be 300 DPI, it would take half the time. It would take in, like an, an hour. It's amazing. It just goes brr, 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 and one after the other. Fascinating. Yeah. That's cool. That sounds like it would save so much time. Yeah, it's really cool for, for those old photos. Anyway, enough about so, me. A quick question about that, though. I was like, what are you going to do? when you scan all those photos and then you throw the physical copies no, th- away. Then they'll start, pre- oh, well, yeah, I don't know. They'll and sp- then, and then you don't, you don't, you know, take care of your backups. And well, I'm not going to throw away the, the, <laughs> the family archive. I, cool. <laughs> a shoebox is probably still the most reliable medium until a fire comes. No. But yeah, I totally agree. So, um, yeah, no, it's just a way to, to digitize it and to have more 
you know, be able to share it and uh, let everybody in the family have a copy. And all right, so what have I been doing? Yeah, do you have anything? Uh, a little bit. I know. I mean, I already kind of. I mean, I'm, I always talk about film. What else do I talk about? Like, I don't really do anything. We can talk about I, film again. Yeah, I mean, what else do I do? I don't really do anything. And it's honestly, it's been the thing that's been getting me to leave the house. It's because I'm like, oh, I want to go shoot this film. So I'm going to talk about the, the film I'm most excited about, which is a brilliant thing because it's the cheapest. It's the Kodak Gold 200. is so good. It's uh, so, why 200 it's, instead of 400? Well, the 200, the colors are just a little bit better. Yeah. And I, so I'm, I'm not sure, sure I can really describe it yet, hmm. but it's it's amazing. They're perfectly accurate. The skin tones are perfect. And, you know, like I'm kind of wondering why I would spend any extra money getting Portra 160 anymore. Hmm. I don't think I will, in fact. Unless somebody says, I want this shot on you know, Portra 160, right. and I'll say, okay, fine, I'll do that. Well, I, but does the, from the branding, from like what, if you read the label in the box, I would assume yes. noise would be more controlled on the Portra, at least. No? Yeah. No? Yeah. I'm not seeing a significant amount of noise in my scans. Hmm. And like, you know, I've only shot two rolls. So like, it's not like I'm like, I'm not like really deep into it, but and where are you buying I'm from? so excited. B&H. For how much? $3 a roll. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, uh, <laughs> that's, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. I mean, versus like almost six. Yeah. I'm totally behind you though on the cheap film thing. Like that's what has booked. I, I think once I'm out of the portrait, I'm mm-hmm. going to shoot less and less, but I'll still have a few rolls. And it's the uh, the four hundred that that I like because it it does look different. It's there's mm-hmm. less contrast, um, but it's not be- it's not infinitely better at all. Like it's just a different look, right? And I think that what I realized is that the the gold actually suits my taste a little bit better. Right. Which is that's yeah. I mean that's the important thing, right? Yeah. And I, okay. So let me let me clarify. Like uh, the gold two hundred is what I'm excited about. The Ultra Max four hundred is is nice. It's a it's a great consumer film. But um, in that case, I think that I'd probably prefer Portra four hundred. Um, so, but uh, this is something yeah. I don't know if you <laughs> are clear about. Are you clear about the difference between gold and Ultra Max? Because I am not. Well, as far as I understand it, there's there's only the the gold is the two hundred and the ultra max is the four hundred. No, that's really? yeah. There's not like a Kodak Gold four hundred anymore. I thought I had that in my freezer. Well, you probably do, but it's probably old. Hmm. Okay, um, or at least like it's not available in my world. Hmm. Well, you are in yeah. America, and I yeah. live in Canada, so maybe it's a uh, that's the difference. Yeah, it could be. It very well could be, and you know, I'd be excited if somebody comes and tells us otherwise because i love to learn stuff it seems like such a weird <laughs> branding change like ultramax just doesn't sound as good as gold to me not at all if i look I, if, yeah if, the ultramax honestly like the first time i bought it i was actually at the bnh store and i said can i get some kodak gold 400 and he pulls up a bunch of ultramax and i was kind of like uh, no, I wanted the gold, and he's like, "This is it." Hmm. I'm looking like I was at B&H, idiot. and it <laughs> says Kodak GC slash Ultramax, and that came up under search for Kodak Gold. Yeah, doesn't say the word gold on it though. But what does GC it stand doesn't. for? Does GC stand for gold color? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Good color. <laughs> I don't know. 
But I like the Ultramax too. Like as far as a, a, a cheap film at 400, it's great. So uh, this is my philosophy is that um, for shooting 35, I only use the cheap stuff. Yeah. Like uh, why that's, use that's expensive stuff in a, in a th- because also not only is the film like quite more expensive in 35 millimeter than it is 120 mm-hmm. when you start adding it all up. But I mean, there's just no reason to, yeah. you know, like the, the, the quality of, of image that you get from 35, like, why would you spend that much money on a roll of film as you're doubling your costs and, you know, like, are you doubling your quality? I don't think yeah, so. Definitely not. It, it's, and it's such a taste thing too. Like if that super creamy soft look is really important to you, that's how you get it. But not everybody has to have that look all the time. Well, if that if that's really that important to you, you better be shooting it on medium format. True, because it's not. You know, I, I've 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 tested this theory now for you know I've been working at it for a, a little more than a year. Actually, I guess it's a year and four months, but um, that I reengaged with film, and there's just no question. I mean, like you know, looking at 400 H on 35 millimeter versus medium format is a big difference to me and maybe i'm just really nitpicky but i i think the colors are similar you know obviously but you know the quality of image is just big time difference so like i find that shooting the cheap stuff on 35 suits the image type better in my opinion yeah i think that's because it's more of a candid image anyway that's what i'm that's why i'm shooting the 35 film is because i want it to be a little bit Dirty. You know what? Again, though, you're revealing your having a beautiful film scanner bias because <laughs> the biggest cost to me is not buying the film. Yeah. Like I don't even, I'm not nearly as stressed about that component about shooting compared to the, the processing. Oh, I've got something else to talk about in relation to that. Oh, so I me, tried out, I tried out the Ilford XP2 recently because it's the, um, the C41 black and white. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, I follow. Okay. So, um, and for those of you that don't know, that means that you can, you can take the, this black and white film and have it developed anywhere that you can get color film developed. And it doesn't require the hand process. So it's cheap and it's easy and the results are fairly good. It's not quite as exciting as Tri-X or HP5 or something, but it's fairly good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was you know, just curious to see how the quality would be out of the, uh, the pack-on. And I'm not sold. I'm, you know, like and the reason why I wanted to do this is because like, when I shoot 35mm, if I choose to shoot black and white then I have to send that off to a lab and it's cost, you know, for the, for the type of scan that I'm going to, the quality of scan I'm going to ask for, it's going to be 32 bucks from the fine lab and make no mistake. They do the best work. Findlab.com mm-hmm. are amazing. They are so good, but man, that's expensive. And you know, it should be because it's the best. Yeah. Cause they, they make money. You know, of course. And like, I, I would, anytime I, I feel like I need to do anything like that, like I'm, you know, all of my medium format goes to the fine lab from now on, you know, like I was using Andy film lab and they do a great job, but the fine lab, in my opinion, beats them. Hmm. Good to know. They are awesome. Yeah. Good to know for Americans because so- I still can't send it. Oh, and they're so nice too. Like they, um, you know, part of what they do 
is like if you order the black and white development scan, um, automatically they they give you like a review of your images. They tell you their opinion. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't usually get that because I'm usually the person giving that and I don't usually actually end up hearing a lot of great feedback about my own work, yeah, totally. which well, is extremely frustrating. And knowing actually. things like how, like when you only see the scanned results, you may not know what they had to do to fix your image. So if they tell you, look, if you if you just done this differently, we wouldn't have had to blah, blah, blah. And so for black and white, I just they they don't offer like a cheaper version. It's just because of the the amount of of time and care it takes to to process black and white. They just they make it one one option, and it's the best option. Um, but with color, this is also really great to know. Is that um, you know? So if I'm shooting one twenty color, I can send that to them, and they'll do the the cheap scans. Still very large, but they won't do any extra work on them. They'll just save all that for me, which I'm more than happy to to manage on my own. And uh, it's only $13, which, yeah, that's really cool because um, that makes – that's a game changer for me. That's that's a big deal. Was the, the shoot you were doing today on film? No. Oh, right, because <laughs> you're talking about your high SOs. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about that before we quit? Yeah. What'd you shoot? So um, we just suddenly, you know, we realized my wife and I is the we in this scenario. Um, we realized that we didn't have anything to do, and we, were, you know, I just said, said, "Hey, uh, I'm going to take a nap real quick." <laughs> it's like 11 a.m. <laughs> I'm already ready for a nap. And um, you know, and I said, "If you, if you don't mind, if you have a moment, if you would like, just give me an assignment." You know, and she's like, well, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I want to shoot something today. And I don't really know what I want to shoot, but I feel like I need to shoot today. It just, you know, it's been a little while since I've had an assignment that wasn't, you know, from a client, you know, so I want something that's, you know, our, that falls in our interest. So I said, you know, I'd love to shoot some cocktails today or something, you know. And she's okay, cool. And so, you know, I went, took a nap and I woke up and she's like, I got a plan. And I was like, cool. Well, what do I need to do? So we went prop shopping and spent way too much money, which is always fun. And, uh, you know, but you get inspired, right? You're, you feel in that moment, you're like, all right, we're going to make some awesome stuff. We need everything. Yeah, totally. And we're going to shoot like, you know, five different things. And of course, when it comes down to it, we shot one. Um, yeah, but so, you know, fate is, is a bitch. So it, it just turns out that by the time that we were set up and ready to start shooting, it was extremely overcast and rainy yeah. and the light was just You're not abysmal. shooting inside though, right? No, no, no. We were shooting in our kitchen, yeah. but, um, or rolling our dining room. Yeah. And it's just really rough. And so, you know, I shot the majority of the shoot, anything that was handheld, I shot it at 3,200. And so, um, you know, I mean, I guess this just goes back to the first part of our conversation is this like this stuff wouldn't have been even usable. And like I'm looking at it, it's like, yeah, it looks great. <laughs> you know, I'm 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 satisfied. Pull it off and not waste our time or day or, you know, or product. Because, you know, of course, when we shoot beverages or food, for that matter, we use the real thing mm-hmm. and then we consume it, which is if I'm acting silly, you know why? <laughs> Well, I can see, now I see why you were inspired. Well, I was inspired, yeah. So you can ask 
I, you know what? I will get it finished up and put some on Stocksy, and then you can link to it. All right, that's what we'll do then. But they, um, I don't even know what it's called. My wife just, just like this is what we're shooting, and it looked beautiful. But it was like uh, it was a bourbon blueberry mint drink. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a julep or something. I don't know. I don't know what you'd call it, but it was God. It was good. Well, you should get the recipe in the show notes. Oh well, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. We will do that. Yeah, we usually blog the recipe, but yeah, she totally just like you know, I got this idea. I'm going to make it up, and it it was awesome, delicious. Can you hear the screaming? Yeah, what the hell's going on? I don't actually know. I'm assuming a hockey game is happening. <laughs> I hope that that's what it is. Uh, yeah, I live uh, I can, directly out of our studio window is the sports stadium, the local sporting stadium, and uh, the Calgary Flames have been playing games lately, and I th- suspect that's why everybody's screaming. Yeah, that sounds very Canadian. It's really loud, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that what you guys go crazy about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's always hockey, but I I don't at all. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's just screaming. We're, we're just not the sporting types. No. All right, we're out of time. Yes, we are. Thanks, Cameron. Why? Oh, you know what I'm going to do right now? What? I'm going to go and watch Interstellar on Blu-ray. Hey, that's a great idea because it's a great movie, no matter what everybody else says. Yeah, I don't care what anybody else says. I, you know, but the reason that seems important is because when one of our very first episodes, we talked about seeing it on yeah. 70 millimeter film. Yeah, well, I was so impressed by the way that it looks that we, that's what we talked about. It It was like, okay, we have to talk about this because it's so exciting and nothing yeah. else looks this good. And then we never did, but. Well, so now, next time we talk, I can tell you how I feel about the film versus digital, Great, even though it's yeah. six months separated. <laughs> I'm sure you remember exactly what the first one looked like. Of course I do. <laughs> you and your especially, photographic memory. Yeah, especially after a couple bourbon. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Aaron. It's great talking to you. Yeah. Bye. Ciao. Um, yeah. Did you write that? No, no, that's just, uh, I was jamming with a friend and we just like recorded everything we did. And that was just something that was sitting around on my desktop when I was ready to start, like when I first put the first episode together. So I was like, Hey, can I use that? Awesome. Yeah. It's just like a, uh, it was t- testing out a Vox AC 3D. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's loud. Yeah. I really love that. The, the, like, I really like the tone of that intro sound it, oh, it's funny because he plays it wrong like he the timing isn't correct yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> every time i hear it i'm like oh there's like a, there's one missing chord it's kind of cool though because it's like there's just something it's like wow is that intentional yeah but that's awesome but thing, when you hear it enough times then you think it is intentional but it's not yeah. it's totally a mistake so thank you glenn hayes for writing our great guitar riff intro